So, uh, growing up, we lived next to a trailer park, and so all my friends, most of my friends, the ones that I hung out with the most lived in the trailer park, and uh, one of those guys, so w- they're all like older than me, you kind of take what you can get, right, like the people that are around you, they're all older than me, and one of those guys is a guy named uh, Ricky Fatika, just came to my mind this week, Ricky Fatika, like Ricky Fatika was like a big brother to me, I love this guy, he was just like a good guy, and I looked up to him so much, he, uh, he was like a really good guitar player, so, you know, I bought a cheap guitar at Cave Art and tried to learn how to play guitar, because I wanted to be like Ricky, yeah, I was thinking about this, he had this shirt, he used to wear this, his dad worked for Matco Tools, does anybody work for Matco Tools, okay, I don't know anything about Matco Tools, I don't know if it's cool or not, but this shirt was cool to me. Like, I wanted one of these Matco Tools shirts so much because my friend Ricky had one of these shirts. Like, he was like an idol to me. Like, I loved, I loved this guy. He looked out for me. He was a cool guy. And then one day, he moved. Like, he moved. And I remember, like, being so bummed about that, you know? Like, my friend Ricky moved. Like, I would, I would ride my bike, you know, through the trailer park. I'd ride my bike past his trailer, just to, like, see if maybe he forgot something, you know, like he was going to come back. Never saw him. I don't know where he moved to. Maybe you know who Ricky is. I don't know where he moved to. And then we ended up moving, and I've never seen or heard from him again. That was, like, a tough time for me. I actually looked him up on Facebook this week. I'm like, maybe he's on Facebook. Nothing. I miss my Ricky. (laughs) Maybe when this is online, Ricky Fatigue will hear about this, and I'll reconnect with him. You ever have somebody in your life that, that you really love, like it was... You know, she was a friend of yours or a family member that they moved away, you know, like, like they left for whatever reason. We, we had this happen again just a couple years ago. Um, this time it was like on a bigger scale because it involved our whole family. So when we moved to the house that we're in, we built the house that we're in, the family that built a house right across the street not too long after us, it was like this unique relationship because the, the, they had a son who was a little bit older than my son, about my son's age, a daughter who was a little bit older than my daughter, uh, the, the wife I actually went to high school with, she was a cheerleader for me. I'm sure, I assume she just cheered for me in basketball, but she was a cheerleader at my school, right? And uh, it was just like one of those unique relationships where like our sons were best friends, you know, and our daughters were best friends. And the mom and my wife, Marcia, just like connected really easily with each other. And the dad and I had a lot of things in common and we connected really well with each other. And they loved Jesus. They were followers of Jesus and they lived across the street. I mean, it was just like this very, very unique relationship. Very quickly, they became our best friends. And so we would talk about, you know, we both moved in at the same time, young families. We'd talk about, like, our kids growing up together. You know, we'd talk about us growing old together, all that sort of stuff. It was just a cool, unique relationship. And then about two years ago, his job here in town became in jeopardy. And he started looking, and he found a job about 11 hours south by the beach, what do you think wins when you got a job in Akron or a job by the beach, right? So just like that, they moved 11 hours away. And, and like, we all felt such loss, you know, because we love them. Marsha and me and the kids, I can't imagine how they all felt, you know. Not only did they leave us, they left all their other friends and their family and all of that. And I'm pretty confident that if, if they were here, they would have been a part of this, you know, Like, they would have been a part of our campus, and you would have loved them. They're the kind of people that you meet, and just, like, instantly, you love these people. And sometimes, 
in my weaker times, you know, I just kind of talk to God. I'd be like, God, why? You know, like, why did you have to take them away from us? You know, we, we, we love them. They were so special to us. We, we wanted our kids to grow up together. We, we wanted to grow old being friends with them. Like, why did you have to take them away? And we get sad. Like, sometimes now, even, just a couple years ago, sometimes now I think about it, and I get sad. You ever have something like that happen in your life? You know, you got somebody, some people that you're really close to that move away. You experience loss, like not death kind of loss, but loss of people that you love. Like, they're still around, but they're not around. They have to leave for one reason or another. Usually it's a good reason, like a job or something like that. But it still really hurts, right? Sometimes we act like it doesn't hurt, but it really hurts. So I said before that Marcia and I have two kids, and the thing that I'm probably least looking forward to is one day when my kids grow up and they move away. Like, oh, some of you have experienced that already. I love my kids, man. I do not want them. I I always want to have them with us, you know? I took a picture of my daughter, Natalie. She's six years old. I took a picture of her the other day. I was looking at this picture. I'm like, oh, man, she looks like a young lady. Like, I am not ready for this. Sometimes I joke around with her. I'm like, listen, Natalie, you're not allowed to grow up. you got to stay a little girl all of your life. You got it? She'll be like, Dad, I can't help it. But then another part of me knows that they need to grow up, you know? Like, they, they need to, grow, to, to, to move out, to get a job. They have to have their own adult lives, right? Like, independent adult lives. Like, this is how God designed it. I mean, this is literally when God talks about adulthood and marriage in Genesis 2, he says they will leave what? Their father and mother, and they'll go. They'll be united to their, to their spouse. And not everyone in here gets married. I, I understand that. But we all grow up, and I think that God designed us to be more and more independent of our families, at least, as we grow up and as we develop. And as we do, he has plans for our lives. So as my kids grow up and they become adults and they move into what God has designed them for, and this is a good thing, right? Like sometimes it's a painful thing, it's a hard thing, but it's a good thing. It's how God designed it. He has plans for us that are actually good and best for us, even though sometimes that may, they may feel painful to us, and sometimes they may even entail some loss that we experience. And so this isn't only true for our kids, right? Like lots of us don't have kids, but this is true for all of our relationships because each of us is on a mission from God. Each of us has a mission that God has given us. We all have the same general mission of God, right? You know what our general mission is? Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, after he rose from the dead, he's talking to his disciples at the very end of the book of Matthew, and he gives them and all of us this general mission. You know what it is? Here's what it says. So Jesus is talking. He's talking to them and us. He says, here's your mission. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So tonight, as you sit here, if you're a follower of Jesus, and I realize that maybe not everyone in this room is, like maybe some of us are here tonight and we're kind of investigating that, and that's okay. Like you're in a safe place. I was going to try to pressure you into doing something you don't want to do. But if you sit here tonight and you're a follower of Jesus, your mission in this life is to go help Jesus make sense 
Help make Jesus make sense to anyone who's seeking after him. Go help people searching for truth and hope and meaning and purpose become followers of Jesus, become disciples of Jesus. That's the mission for each of us generally. That's what we've seen over and over again in the book of Acts, right? Like throughout this series, we've seen these people that are going and making disciples over and over and over again. Disciples making disciples. They're multiplying. But then each of us has specific ways in which God is calling us to do that, right? So in Haiti, you go to Haiti, it was crazy. On the plane, this is so funny, on the plane, probably half of the people, this is not an exaggeration, half of the people on the plane going over there are Christians going over to minister to Haitians. It's crazy. You know how we know? They all had like the same t-shirt, the trip shirt. I'm like, we are never doing that, boys. Right? But you have people that God has called, specifically called, to go over to Haiti to preach the gospel, to make disciples of Haitians that are looking for truth, that are looking for hope, that are looking from God. I have friends who God has called specifically to Africa, they live in Africa, to go make disciples of Africans. I, I have friends that are in Hungary that God has called specifically to go make disciples of people that are in Hungary, of Hungarians. And we're sitting here tonight in Barberton because God has called us, Marsha and I specifically, you guys as well, to make disciples, to reach the community of Barberton, right? To make disciples in Barberton. Whether you realize it or not, God has a mission for you in your life, and it all centers around one thing go make disciples disciples. That's, that's the mission that God gives each of us, helping people understand who Jesus really is, what he did, why he did it, and what that means for their lives if they want it. Is God's goal for you in your life to become a medical doctor that you're going to be able to help a lot of people? Nope. Is God's goal for you in your life to, to go to college and get a degree? That's not his ultimate goal for you. It's God's goal for you in this life to, to be a good parent and raise kids that are going to be good kids? No, that's not God's ultimate goal for you. It's God's goal for you to, to start a business and employ a bunch of people and be a good boss to people? No, that's not God's ultimate goal. Does God care about those things? Yes, but they're not his goal for you. They're not his mission for you. We get this jumbled sometimes in our head. We think, my goal in life, the thing I want to accomplish in life, if I can accomplish nothing else, I want to be a doctor. I want to start my own business so I don't have to like, report to anybody else. I want to be my own boss. No. No. God's goal for us, God's ultimate goal for us is to make disciples. Those things are just a means to the goal. doesn't mean they're unimportant. They're important. But they're not his goal for you. They're not his mission for you. They may be a means to his mission, but they're not his mission. His mission is go make disciples, maybe as a doctor, maybe as a college graduate, maybe as a parent, maybe as a small, small business owner. So, so why do I bring all this stuff up? Because tonight I want to look at a passage. It's actually a really short little passage, three verses. Actually, I want to look at two passages, but for the most part, I want to look at one little passage in Acts chapter 13 in which God calls a couple guys in the church to go make disciples in very specific ways that means leaving people that they love. Like, there's loss with this. Leaving people that they love, and they're willing to go 
with, with great risk, not really knowing what it entails, actually having very few details of what lies ahead of them, they're willing to go because they understand that the whole reason that they're left on this earth is to make disciples. We're here because God's plan is to save people from hell through us. Like, please, please hear that tonight. Like, I want you to feel the weight of that. Like, you're here, I'm here to save people from hell. You and I are God's plan for that. Where is plan A? There is no plan B. We get a chance to tell people about the living, loving God of the universe and rescue them. So as we dig into this tonight, I want you to be thinking about how God is calling you to, to, to do this mission that he's left us on. Like I want you to think about this in your own life, like in, in, in your very life. God has plans for you. Like God has people in your life that he wants you to reach. And I want you to be thinking about that. One of the uh, big kind of storylines of the book of Acts that we talked about, we haven't talked about it for a few weeks, but early on in this series, we said there's kind of some overarching truths in the book of Acts and really in all of the history of Christianity. One thing that we said is it's all like one big story. You know, it started 2,000 years ago when Jesus came. The church started, it's been going ever since then. So it's all one big story. And I asked you, I said, um, what kind of story is your life writing? Like, what's, what's your part of the story? I want you to think about that again tonight. Like, what? You've got a mission. What kind of story is your life writing? It's going to be told to people one day. It might be in a book one day. It might be to your children or to your grandchildren. But what kind of story is your life writing? And then last week we ended, I have a second question for you to think about. Last week we ended with a statement that I wanted you to think about. I said, what's the Holy Spirit leading you toward? We've got to be asking ourselves that question. What's the Holy Spirit leading you toward? What kind of story is your life writing? Okay, I want you to be chewing on that as we dig into this, as we look at two guys in the book of Acts who hear their calling from God and they step out into the unknown. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 13. Acts chapter 13. Um, if in the church Bibles, if you don't have one, in church Bibles is page 894. If you don't have one and you want one, Steve will, if you raise your hand, Steve will get one to you there. Um, so we've actually jumped, we were in Acts chapter 8 last week, we've actually jumped forward five chapters. And guys, let me tell you, there's so much in between. Like, there's so much in between. This is a hard thing about doing a nine-week series in Acts. We're in the eighth week of nine weeks. There's only so much that you can cover, and I hate it, right? There's so much in there, but we had to jump ahead five chapters. I would really encourage you to read those five chapters there is so much in there. In chapter 9, you have a guy named, let me whet your appetite a little bit, right? In chapter 9, you have a guy named Saul. You might know him as Paul, who goes from being a hunter and killer of Christians to becoming a Christian. In fact, becoming one of the most important Christians who ever lived, right? That's, that's Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 10, you have Peter, one of the apostles, and he has this crazy vision. He's on the roof of a house. He has this crazy vision from God that, where God tells him that the gospel is for everyone, not just Jews, but for everyone. So non-Jews, Gentiles, which is probably most of us in this room. In Acts chapter 11, you have the church in Antioch being born. Hey, can I have you just, uh, just turn this off? Don't worry about it. It's flashing all over the place. It's a little distracting. But in Acts chapter 10, you have uh, the church in Antioch being born. And it's born because there's persecution in Jerusalem. It's kind of the hub, right? There's persecution. And so people are sent out. So some people go to Antioch and they tell people about Jesus. Antioch, by the way, is kind of a little trivia. It's kind of interesting. Antioch, by the way, is where Christians are first called Christians. It's kind of interesting. In Acts chapter 12, you have some of the apostles are being killed for being Christians. 
mean, it's crazy. So you have James, the brother of John, being killed. Okay? Then they capture Peter. They arrest Peter. And they're going to hold him to trial and likely kill him. Right? And then God, the church is praying for him. God miraculously sends an angel who gets him out of prison and frees him. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Later in chapter 12, you have Herod, the guy who's like persecuting, the lead, leading these persecution in Christians against Christians. God kind of lashes out against him. He's prideful. He's crushed. He's killing Christians, and God strikes him down. It's amazing stuff in those five chapters. Really encourage you to check it out. Then you get to chapter 13. And in chapter 13, we get a little glimpse into the church at Antioch, right? Throughout the book of Acts, we've been getting little glimpses into the church. This is the church in Antioch. So this is where Barnabas and Saul, who you might know better as Paul, talk about the name change here in a second, hear God calling them to a very specific mission and how they respond. So I want you to look at it. Acts chapter 13, starting in verse 1. This is what it says. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, uh, Lucius of Cyrene. I love that name, Lucius. I wanted to name Luke, Lucian. And Marsh is like, ah, uh-uh, no way. So we settled for Luke. Anyway, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Terah the Tetrarch, and Saul. Verse 2, while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. So you got five guys mentioned here who are prophets and teachers in the Antiochian church. There's actually very little known about three of those guys. Very little known about them. Simeon, Lucius, and Manian. We don't know much about them other than they were prophets and teachers in the early church. Two other guys, Barnabas and Saul, we actually know a whole bunch about. We first met Barnabas, I don't know if you remember this, we first met Barnabas at the very end of Acts chapter 4. So he's the guy who sold a field, right? We look, we, remember that a few weeks ago we had this glimpse of the church, this little snapshot of the church in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4. At the end of chapter 4, this guy, Barnabas, he sells a field and he gives all of the money puts it at the apostles' feet, right? That's who he was. Barnabas was known to be a great leader in the early church. He was respected by the apostles. He was a guy who could teach. He was a great encourager and developer of leaders. That's actually what his name means. Barnabas means son of encouragement. Like he is the ultimate encourager, generous guy, and he was willing to go where God had called him to go, and he was willing to do what God had called him to do. Amazing guy, right? And then you have Paul, Saul, or Paul, who's amazing in his own right. Do you know why he changes the name change in, in the Bible? So up to this point, actually up to this very chapter, Acts chapter 13, his name is he's referred to as Saul. Then from chap, I'm sorry, verse 9 of chapter 13 on, for the rest of the Bible, he's called Paul. Do you know why? Paul and Saul were uh, like the similar name. So he had, in uh, Judaism, his name was Saul. His Hebrew name was Saul, and then his Roman name, his Gentile name, was Paul. And so God had plans for Paul. God had said, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. You're going to go all over the place, and you're going to tell Gentiles, non-Jews, about Jesus. And so he started using his Gentile name, his Roman name, Paul. That's why from this point on, he's always going to be referred to as Paul. So this guy, Paul, Paul's like a super Jew, like, that's how I think of Paul. He's like, he's like super Jew turned Christian, 
Like, as a Jew in the Jewish culture back then, like, this guy had it going on, right? So in, in Philippians chapter 3, he talks about this a little bit. I don't think I, we have a slide for it, but he says, If someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. And we look at that list and we go, eh, that's not that impressive to us today, right? But to a Jew, to a first century Jew, this is a big deal. And Paul was like a fierce dude. I mean, this guy was a bold, outgoing, driven man. He was a man of exceptional strength and determination. Very well educated, brilliant guy. He was trained by the leading rabbi of the time, a guy named Gamaliel. He had Roman citizenship. He probably came from a wealthy family. He had lots of different privileges. Every picture I've ever Googled of him, he's bald, so you know, like he's really got that going on as well. I don't know if he really was or not. But, but, so this Paul guy is an amazing guy. Barnabas is an amazing guy. Why is all this important? Well, it's important because they were two of the very best leaders that the Antiochian church had. They were two of the very, maybe they were the two very best teachers that they had. And now God was calling these two men to go out to parts unknown. He was giving them their specific mission, right? Put yourself in the shoes of someone at that church. Like, what, what would you be thinking? Like, these, you love these guys. You know, you, you've been under their teaching for a while. These guys are great leaders. They're great teachers. They are so important to you and so important to the rest of their church. And now God is taking them away. God is calling them out. Like, imagine the loss that they feel. Imagine the heartache that they feel. This is very likely a dangerous mission. When they're called out to go sail places and tell people about Jesus when it's getting more and more dangerous, this is not a safe thing that God was calling them to. What if they never came back? How would the church survive without its two very best leaders? Like, put yourself in their shoes. Flip over to chapter 20. So you keep, keep one finger in chapter 13. Flip over to chapter 20. I want, I want you to see, so this is just another glimpse. You see the emotion a little bit more. This is another group of people. Paul's talking to now the Ephesian elders in a very similar way. He's telling them, I'm going to go, and you're probably not going to see me again. And in chapter 20, you get to see some of the raw emotions of the church a little bit more. Look at verse 22 of chapter 20. He says, And now, compelled by the Spirit... I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. Jump down to verse 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Drop down to verse 36. He says, when Paul finished speaking to the Ephesian elders, he knelt down with all of them and prayed, and they all wept, and they embraced him. And they kissed him. What grieved them most was the statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. Like they loved him. You know, it's hard to see somebody that you love go even when they're called by God to go. They were grieving for him. They were sad. So, so that's what's happening in chapter 13, the beginning of chapter 13. A few little verses. What do we, like, how do we apply this? to our lives? How do we bring this into our context? What do we do for this? Well, I have a few things I think are really relevant to us today sitting in our church, in our campus, 
eight months into planting, trying to reach a community, trying to understand how God is calling us to go out and make disciples. First, we see that God sends people out from the church. I guess first thing I see, when I look at this, I go, God sends people out. Like, this is what God does. This, this is normal. Like, this is what a healthy church does. Sometimes we might be tempted to think that, that if a church is good, if it's solid, if it's passionate, if it's listening to God, once people start coming, they're never going to leave, right? Once they start, if it's a good church, once they start coming, they're going to stay there forever and ever. Guys, listen, that's not true. If a church is healthy and strong and praying, people should be sent out from that church over and over and over again. And not because they're frustrated, not because you know, they're fed up or anything like that, but because they're sent, because they're called. Interestingly, you, know, you might be uh, kind of wondering what happened to the church in, in Antioch after Paul and Barnabas left. Like, they didn't leave because they were frustrated, right? They left because God called them. You might be wondering, like, I wonder what happened to the church in Antioch. It's really interesting. So this is about 50 AD, somewhere around there. 20 years later, about 70 AD, the temple in Jerusalem was knocked down. And it's, uh, as that happens, the hub of Christianity is centered around what city, do you think? Antioch. Yeah. The, kind, of, kind of the world headquarters, so to speak, of Christianity. 20 years after this is Antioch. About 350 years after this, 400 AD, you know how many Christians are just in the city of Antioch? Cities were smaller back then. You know how many Christians were there? 100,000. 100,000 people. It's amazing how the church thrives when it does what God calls it to do. You know, I bet, I bet many of you had a similar experience as this, but when, when Marsh and I left Norton, it was really hard. Like when we left the Norton campus, to plant the Barberton campus. It was really hard, yeah, because we loved, like, we loved the people at Norton. Like, I love getting a chance to work with the staff there and the congregation there, and they loved us, and it was really hard, but God called us to go, and we don't know what it entails, right? Here we are eight, eight months later. We didn't know what it entails, and look what God does. Incidentally, the Norton campus is fascinating, the Norton campus, since we've left, and the Bath campus, since the Medina campus has been planted, have almost gotten back to the size that they were when we sent people to plant these campuses. Isn't that amazing? And I think at last check, the Medina campus, their attendance is somewhere around six or 700 people. It's amazing. And here in Barberton, we have 200 new people. It's amazing how the church thrives and grows when we just listen to what God is calling us to. I would expect that God would call some of us just sitting here tonight to other parts of the world to be missionaries. God's world is a big place. In fact, I would hope that God does that. Maybe he's doing it now. Maybe he's already begun to whisper to some of your hearts. And it'll only get stronger. It'll become clearer as time goes on. And you'll go because you love God and you want to listen to him and you want to be a part of what he's doing. You'll go to other places in this world to help Jesus make sense. I fully expect that. I pray that that happens. And guys, in a few years, I suspect that God will call us, the Barberton campus, a little church, little old church plant right now, 
to be a part of planning another campus of Grace Church where we'll send out people, maybe some of you sitting right here, into Coventry or Springfield Township or wherever to go plant the next campus of Grace Church. Like, this is, this is what we do. And we'll be excited for you. And we'll pray for you. And we'll probably shed some tears as well. See, God has given us this vision. And, and the vision isn't to, like, try to grow four. We've got four campuses right now. The vision isn't to try to, like, grow four mega campuses, huge churches, big buildings. That's not our vision. Our vision is to plant new campuses. In fact, our vision is to plant 30 campuses in 30 years. Yikes. Like, I, when you hear that, I don't know what, what you think when you hear that. I, I think that's ridiculous. <laughs> like, that's, that's crazy. There is so much work that goes into that. There is so much sacrifice that goes into that. It, it means that so many of us will have to step out into things that are uncomfortable for us. And as we sacrifice and as we focus on others, as we go and do this, you know what's going to happen? God's going to multiply his church. And we're going to get a chance to be a part of it. And we're going to get a chance to see men come to know Jesus and women come to know Jesus and kids come to know Jesus as we tell them, as we step out and as we sacrifice, as we say, I'm not doing church just to be comfortable, but I take the mission that God has left me on very seriously we're going to get a chance to tell people about the hope and the purpose they have in Jesus. Like, what better thing can we give our lives to? Like, that gets me so excited when I think about that. What better thing could you and I give our lives, our time, our attention, and our focus to? God sends people out of the church. We see that in Acts 13. God sends people out of the church. This is what help happens at a healthy church. In time, he may be sending you. Don't go yet. We're only like eight months into it. It's like a two-year rule. You've got to be here for two. Just kidding. Go back to Acts 13. Go back to the passage. Do you notice what's happening when all this went down? Like when, when God was calling them? Do you see what's happening? What was the church in Antioch doing when they realized that God was calling Barnabas and Saul, Paul, to be sent out? What were they doing? They were worshiping. They were fasting. And they were praying. Here's, here's my second point. We hear from God's spirit when we spend time with him. As this is like obvious, I realize that. Like this is, this is not rocket science. But how do we hear from God? How do we hear from his spirit? How do I know specifically what he's calling me to? Eh, I go be with him. Like I, I, I go spend time with him. We said it last week. I'll say it again. It's really tough to listen to God, to hear from God without spending time with him. In fact, I'd say it's impossible. God speaks differently to us than everybody else, right? I got, anybody else that we come across, God speaks differently. He doesn't shout to us. He whispers to our hearts. And to hear him, we've got to slow down. And we've got to quiet our lives. Remember last week I said, we've got to turn the TV off. We've got to turn our cell phones off, right? We've got to slow down and we've got to talk to God. And we have to listen to God. I've heard many times, I've felt it in my own life, People say, you know, I just feel stale in my faith right now. Like, I just, I just feel kind of stuck. You know what I've observed most of the time through other people that I've counseled and through my own experience when I'm feeling that way? You know what I've observed the reason to be? Kind of drifted from God. I'm just not, like other things have become more important. I'm just not spending that much time with them. 
Listen, if you feel stuck tonight, here's what you do. Go home tonight, pick this thing up, talk to God, and say, God, impassion me. Like, reignite that fire inside of me. And as I read, God, please speak to my heart. And then read and talk to God. And then pray and listen to him and ask him to, to light the fire again. He changes us. You go, I mean, it, it, it's so simple, but it's so easy to neglect. You go from being stuck and stale to like being excited and saying, now I want to go out and I want to help other people know him. I want to help other people experience this. And I think this passage shows us that there's a lot of value in doing this together as a church. They were together, right? They were together fasting and praying and worshiping. I think there's a lot of value for us as a church being together, praying together, fasting together. Right now, we have a group of people, you're welcome to join in, who are fasting on Friday morning, breakfast and lunch, that God would provide a building for us. We know that it all depends on him. It's his timing. We trust that. We got a group of people. You're welcome to join us as a church doing that. There's something powerful about that. It bonds us together. How much time are you spending praying with other people in the church? You know, maybe it's your family. Maybe it's in your grace group. Maybe it's a mentoring, a discipleship relationship. It's so good for us to pray together. It's amazing then how things become clearer and how it bonds us to each other. The last thing, as I look at our passage, that I think is so important for us today as we kind of wrestle with all of this stuff, last thing is this. God's priority for his church is reaching the lost. God's priority for his church is reaching the lost. Listen, he takes a healthy church from all signs, a church in Antioch, a healthy church who's got five leaders. God takes the very two best ones and he sends them out. Why? Because he wants to reach lost people, right? He wants to reach lost people. See, we can, we can have an unhealthy perspective on the church very easily. You know, like we can, we can think that, you know, have this sort of unhealthy pride in our church. Like our church is the best. We got the best band. We got the best pastor. We got the best building. We've been around the longest. It's not good, right? We can, we can think that, that church is all about meeting our needs. Like, man, I'm not, I'm not getting fed like I want to be. Man, that, that person rubbed me the wrong way. I'm not getting what I want to get out of church. Church is about meeting my... It's not healthy, guys. We can think that we're in competition with other churches, right? Like, I want our church to be bigger than the other church. Guys, it's not a competition. We're all on the same team. We love each other. We want to support each other. We're all in this together. Listen, the church has two ultimate purposes here on earth. That's it. Two purposes. You know what they are? First one, to glorify God with our lives. That's the first purpose. Second purpose, to reach lost people. That's it. Like, that's, that's the purpose of the church. We say this all the time. The church isn't for the church. The church is for the world. Like, that's why we're here. Now, listen, we love each other. We're together. We want to encourage each other. We want to teach each other. We want to build each other up. You know what the ultimate purpose is, though? To send us out to reach the world, to help lost people come to Jesus. I don't know any other reason that God leaves us here, right? Like, why else would he leave us here after you come to know Jesus? Matt, after you come to know Jesus, why doesn't God just snatch you up and take you to heaven? He doesn't do that, right? He leaves us here with a purpose 
to reach the world. God's priority is reaching lost people. He loves them. In, in 2 Peter 3, it says that God doesn't want anyone to perish apart from him, but he wants everybody to come to repentance. He wants everybody to come to relationship with him. Jesus says in Luke chapter 19, Jesus says, you know why I came? I came to seek and save people that were lost. That's, like, that's why I'm here. That's what Jesus says. It breaks God's heart when people choose not to follow him, when they choose to follow whatever else it is they're following. It's all sort of the same. Whether you're following materialism or you're following Satan, it breaks God's heart when people aren't following him. The question is, does it break our hearts? Does it break our hearts? Or do we look at people and we go, you're such a bad person. Why are you living that way? Why are you drinking that way? Why are you that way to people? Why are you living with your girlfriend or your boyfriend? Do we look down at people? Or do our hearts break for them? And do they break for them enough to put our wants aside, our desires aside, and do something about it? Listen, it's hard to go. Like I, I get that. I understand that. And it's hard to send out people that we love, you know? I understand that too, whatever, whatever that looks like. It's hard to go ourselves. It's hard to send out people that we love. There's that loss that we talked about at the beginning. But are we selfishly more concerned about ourselves and keeping all of us that we love to ourselves? Or are we more concerned about reaching lost people for Jesus? Like, do we see the big picture enough to say, Dana, I don't want you to be here all the time. I want you to go and be with people intentionally, being a light in darkness. Jen, I want you to not be at church all the time. I want you to go be with your coworkers, be with people, and be a light to them. Listen, I, I want you to take this the right way. I love you guys so much. Like, it is such a privilege for Marsh and I to be able to be your pastor. I hope, I hope you feel that from us. I take that very seriously. God has called me to do this. God has called me to be your pastor. I love you guys so much. But I don't want all of us to spend all of our time together. I don't want all of us to spend all of our time together. Like we shouldn't, we shouldn't be together all the time. You know why? The church is for the world. God has plans for us. What is your part? I guess you think about it in your own life. Remember, like, what's the story that your life is writing? What is the spirit leading you toward? What's your part? And how will you order your life? How will you order your life to, to, to fulfill the mission that God is giving you? Whatever that looks like. I, I have three questions for you, and then, and then I'm going to pray. If God calls you, will you go? It's not even a great question. I should say, when God calls you, will you go? Whatever it is, whatever he's calling you toward, will you go? Second question, are you spending time with God and are you listening to his spirit? Guys, it's so basic, it's so easy, but if we want to get to know him better, just like any other relationship that you've ever experienced, if we want to get to know somebody better, we have to spend time with them. Are you spending time with them? Third question, is your priority the same as God's priority? To help people that are lost find Jesus. 
Guys, if you're like me, it's very easy to get distracted by a bunch of other stuff in this life and make other things our priority. God's priority for us is to reach the lost. He loves them. Do we love them the same way?